But anyway, as I said last week, as we talked about the holidays, we kind of started talking a little bit about the Sabbath. Because the Sabbath, really, as, as we go through this, this is going to help you understand why we really have the holidays we do, rather than the biblical ones. It is all, I mean, really, everything that we have that I consider maybe um, unbiblical about the church today, not necessarily wrong always, but unbiblical, is going to stem from why we have this here as well. And so we need to look at some church history. We need to look at uh, what the Bible says about these things. And I think in putting that all together, you're going to, it's just going to be one more piece of that puzzle or one more block maybe is a better way to put it on, to build on this foundation. And so... Um, we want to look here at why was the Sabbath given to begin with? What's the point of it? And we want to look at scriptures talking about the importance of it. Mark chapter 2, verse 27 says this, The Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. That means God is the Lord. Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. He's the purpose of it. He's the, the instigator, the origin. But he's, he made it for you, for man. Which is significant when you look at the days of creation and the order of which creation takes place. The Sabbath is not given first and then man. But we see man is created first and then the Sabbath was made for man. And so that order of creation is there for a reason as well. And so ultimately, I think you have a choice. We're going to go back to creation and see what God did and how he called this day special, holy, how he called us to protect it, how he called us to guard it, how he called us to honor it. And that choice that you have is whether you want to do that or not. Or just consider it like every other day. That's what it's going to come down to. You can recognize it as holy, or you can reject it as any other day. Every day is alike. Now, I don't want you to forget as we go through this, though, that this day was made for you. That means for your benefit. And that's important as we look at this because I think some people think that well this is God's day so we're doing this for God God gave it as a blessing for you and I think understanding that perspective is important to keep people from getting legalistic but rather just like what we were talking about with the holidays the Pharisees they did all the the biblical holidays they were keeping the law but yet they did not make it they were ungodly. God rebukes them. Why? Because there was something wrong with their understanding of the law of God, their understanding of Yeshua. So this order of creation and it being made for man is important. Ezekiel 20 verse 12 says, Moreover, I also gave them, okay, basically the Israelites or those that he made a covenant with, now we, that covenant is ours, he says, I gave them my Sabbaths. Why? To be a sign between them and me that they might know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. So 
Here again, why did he give it? As a sign, but for what purpose? So that you might know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them, sanctifies to make them holy. In other words, God gave us this Sabbath so that you would understand God's holiness. The very first thing that God did is to turn to Adam and give him this day so that Adam would turn to him and recognize and understand him in a deeper way. That's the goal. To understand God deeper. Not just to do something because it's there, but there's a deeper purpose for this. To know God more. To understand His holiness. We go to Exodus 16.4 and it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. So, the background here, Israel is getting initiated into the wilderness experience. All right, and uh, it isn't going very well for them. It hasn't been very long at all. They're running out of food. They're running out of water. They are lost. They don't know where they're going. And they begin to complain and say, it'd be better that we have stayed in Egypt and died. It would have been way better to die from there, forgetting all of the trials and the tribulations that they had there. Now all of a sudden it's like, oh, God delivered us, yay! And now it's like, oh, we wish we would have stayed there and God wouldn't have delivered us. Well, God responds then basically by saying he's going to feed them bread from heaven. All right, you have no food? Here, I'm going to give you food. This bread from heaven. John 6 says that that bread is Jesus, Yeshua. I am the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate the manna in the desert and they died. But they said he, they ate the same spiritual food and drank, the same spiritual, drank from the same spiritual rock, and that rock that accompanied them was Christ. talks about that in 1 Corinthians 10. And so we see him, but... He says there are going to be rules to this bread that I'm going to give you. I'm not just going to give it to you and it's willy-nilly, you get to go do whatever you want. He says you can eat it six days, but on that sixth day you have to collect twice as much so that on the seventh day you're going to rest. You don't collect it on the seventh day. Well, in Exodus 16 here, it tells us why he did it this way, why he gave us those rules. He was going to test them whether they will walk in God's law or not. It was a test. Out of the 613 commandments that the Jewish people have taken from Scripture, this is the very first one he chooses to emphasize. I don't think that that's insignificant. Now, I also want you to keep in mind this. He has given them this commandment before Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai has not happened here yet. Some people always ask me, how do you pick and choose which, ones, which of these laws you obey, which ones you don't? I don't have a, an answer necessarily outside of this. I do what God reveals in his word to me. But I do believe this. The ones that I, as I examine what I try to do and follow God's word, I see that, do you know, all the ones that I do were given even before Mount Sinai. 
There was a distinction made between clean and unclean before Mount Sinai. We see it in the ark. We see it even alluded to in, in Cain and Abel as well. All right. To abstain from blood, just like in the book of Acts, chapter 15, it talks about Acts 21, it talks about it. That was there before Mount Sinai, before the Levitical laws came about. Well, guess what? So is the Sabbath. This is not a Levitical law. It is not even just one of the Ten Commandments. This is unique. This goes all the way back to the day after man was created on the seventh day of creation. So that's an important distinction as well. The Sabbath is a mark. It is a, a clear mark. It goes on here in verse 25. Then Moses said, eat that day today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will be none. Now, it happened that some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather, but they found none. So, we see that God is giving them a test, and some of them are failing the test immediately. But what's also interesting here is he calls this, even though the Sabbath was made for man, whose Sabbath is it? The Lord's Sabbath. This isn't your day. This is his day. He gets to define which one. He gets to define, define why it's special. All of those kinds of things. So, I know that it's easy for us with our refrigerators full and maybe some money in our bank account, even if it's not much enough to live and be able to go eat out every now and then or whatever the case might be, to kind of judge these guys harshly and say, what are you thinking? But we have to realize that <clears throat> these guys had no money, no 401k, no food, no shelter. They had nothing. They didn't even know they're out in the middle of the wilderness and where their next day's food is going to be coming from until this started happening. And I'll be honest, if I put myself in their shoes, I can guarantee you that I would have probably failed that test. It's easy for me to kind of pick on them. But... It's bread from heaven. It's not like it happened all the time. <laughs> yeah. bread. It, it, but imagine, is it, how long is this going to happen? I know God said it's going to be there. Just like God has promised us many things today that we don't have enough faith to believe in even today. To trust Him fully. Hey, you know what? I'm going to be there for you. Yeah, but I just got fired. I lost my job. I don't know how I'm going to make this, house, this month's house payment. I, I got to do something. Right? I mean, I could give you umpteen scenarios where God says, trust me, and we say, no, I can't. This is too hard. So I, I'll tell you this. God gave them this as a test. And if you think that you aren't going to be tested, you're crazy. And I'm not so sure. As a matter of fact, I'm sure that this test still stands, ultimately. That this test of the Sabbath is still in play for us today. I firmly believe that. That might sound legalistic, 
But it's not. It's for your own benefit that God gave us this. Do you mean by the test of the Sabbath, you mean set a day apart where you like don't do any? Is that what you're saying? Like, I think, yeah. So that you don't have an income? Yeah. Okay. I go I to the churches today thinking. and I say, you know, thou shalt not steal. That's right. That's a good thing. Don't murder. That's right. We shouldn't commit adultery. Uh-huh. Thou shalt remember the Sabbath. You guys need to stop working, and on the Sabbath you shouldn't work. Oh, that, that was, that's legalism. That's Leviticus. That's old. No, that's one of the Ten Commandments. Whether you want to like it or not, that's the facts. We'll take, there aren't Ten Commandments in our society today. There are nine in the church. Maybe not even that, yeah. But you get the point. It is this... What's that? Well, we're going to talk about that. We'll get to that later. Is that his famous quote? Please hold your questions till the end of the tour. That is why we are going to be talking about this, because I could give you a quick answer, but I don't think it's going to make sense fully. Or it will be easy to justify it away. But I think when we're done with this, I don't think you can argue with it. I really don't. I, I, I welcome you to try, but I just don't think... <laughs> you... okay. yeah. Numbers 15, verse 32 says this, Now while the children of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man gathering sticks on the Sabbath day. And those who found him gathering sticks brought him to Moses and Aaron and to the congregation, and they put him under guard because it had not been explained what should be done to him. Now, he knew he wasn't supposed to go out and collect anything on the Sabbath, but he's busted, and now they don't know what to do with him. Well, he broke the command. What do we do? Now, you might say, it's no big deal. All he was doing was collecting sticks for the fire. Well, let's see how big of a deal God saw it here in verse 35. Then the Lord said to Moses, the man must surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones outside the camp. So as the Lord commanded Moses, all the congregation brought him out of, outside the camp and stoned him with stones, and he died. That's pretty major. You might say, come on, God, lighten up. This is God's holiness we're talking about. Remember, one of the reasons you were supposed to have this was because it's to reveal man's holy, or God's holiness to man. And God sees this as a very serious thing. Now, maybe some of you are getting nervous. Hang in there. Okay, just hang in there. But... Verse 37 continues, Again the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel. Tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations, and to put a blue thread in the tassels of their corners. And you shall have the tassel, that you may look upon it and remember all the commandments of the Lord, and do them, and that you may not follow the harlotry to which your own heart and your own eyes are inclined, and that you may remember and do all my commandments, and be holy for your God. So in verse 37, he gives this other command, but why? He gives you this command to make these tassels with a blue thread inside. Why? So that you would remember, do, 
and be holy. To remember the commandments of God so that you'll obey them, and in so doing you will also then be holy and sanctified. So the question that I find interesting is why did he institute this now? Again, the Ten Commandments have not, this isn't about the Ten Commandments yet. This is about the fact that they broke the Sabbath. And so as a result, he says, you need to make tassels. What's significant to me is to give them now, not at the crossing of the Red Sea, not at Passover, but now. Why? Because it's so important to remember the commands of God. You won't be able to keep them. Okay, you are going to break, but it is important that you remember these. Now, it's just like in the Old Testament, none of those people could keep them either. Okay, we, we can't either. I know God never intended you to be able to keep them all because that's why he sent Yeshua. But, nonetheless, they are to be on your heart. We listened to uh, an Elisa Childers podcast this week where she was interviewing a homosexual, a really good podcast, a homosexual who lived a homosexual lifestyle throughout many, many years, 20 years, practicing it in L.A., uh, has a job where he hobnobs with all the elites, the celebrities, the fashion, travels around the world, doing fashion shows, celebrating and drinking it up with all these, you know, Paris Hilton and all these other people. And long story short, goes to church and is convicted by the Word of God and he walks away from it. And now for the last decade, he has been um, basically ministering to those who are still in that lifestyle. Great interview, but one of the things that he talked about was this, is the parable of the rich man in Jesus, where he comes to Jesus and he says, Lord, what must I do to be saved? And he says, he rattles off a couple of the commandments. And the rich man says, I have done all of these. And Jesus says, there's still one thing you lack. Go sell all that you have and come follow me. And it says that the rich man went away sad because he had great wealth. And he took that parable and he said, for me, my great wealth was my sexual identity. He said, Jesus knew the idol that this man had in his heart. It wasn't about all of these commandments. It was about that one thing that he was not willing to give up to follow Jesus. And he began to realize the one thing that kept him away from God all these years or all these Christians telling him that homosexuality was a sin and he was not willing to let go of that sin. So he would reject Christianity to protect the sin he loved. And he said, I think everybody has one of those sins. One of those idols in our life that we're not willing to lay down to follow Jesus. Maybe it's our children. Maybe it's our money. Maybe it's our freedom. 
Maybe it's our health. I, I don't, whatever it is, what God is asking us to do is surrender all. Doesn't mean he's going to take it all, but what he mean, we have to have a heart that there is nothing that we are going to hold on to so tightly that we realize it doesn't belong to him. Belong. No, it, it doesn't to belong to us. You said doesn't belong. No, I'm sorry. Okay. But in the context of what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, I just kind of found that interesting. Is there something in our lives that we would say, I'm not giving that up. Even though I know it may be true, I'm not giving that up. I like it. Now, I'm not trying to put these things on the, you know, the level of practicing homosexuality, but you, you get the point. Is that if there is anything in our life that we aren't willing to give up, even things that are not sinful, but we're hanging on to too tightly, like my children, that's an idol. And that's a bad thing. So, in John chapter 9, verse 13, it says, They brought him who formerly was blind to the Pharisees. Now, it was a Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Now, I love this. We've talked about this a long time ago, I think. Um, I hear all the time that Jesus broke the Sabbath. No, he did not. Not once did Jesus ever break the Sabbath. You say, well, he just did right here. The Pharisees are all upset because he breaks the Sabbath. He heals on the Sabbath. He walks too far on the Sabbath. His disciples pick grain on the Sabbath. Yes, show me in Scripture where any of those things you're not allowed to do. It's not there. You are allowed to do those things. You see, the Pharisees made man-made traditions and rules that they kind of put on the level of God's rules. And Jesus goes out of his way to break man-made rules on the Sabbath. But he never breaks a single one of God's rules. Yes, but not today. Okay. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're not going to let people be holy then? No. You can work your hearts out for the next couple days. <laughs> Get all your stuff done. Get it all done. Yeah. That's not what this is going to be about. I'm not going to be. I'm, I'm not going to be a Pharisee. I'm not going to build a wall around the Sabbath for you guys. Okay, that's not what this is going to be about. But I am going to say this. We like rules, ultimately. And while God gave us rules, it wasn't about the rule. It's about, A, protecting us. He gave these, us, these commandments for our good. He gave us the Sabbath for our good. I could sit here, oh, you better, you better keep the Sabbath, and you better not do this or that on it, and you better do this on it, so that you're a good Christian. Well, that's legalism. Because now I have made a bunch of rules that you are doing for the sake of being obedient to the rule. What well, God says, I did this as a protection for you so that you would be blessed. Remember last week when we talked about the holidays, I said, I'm not going to judge you if you do it. What I do is I grieve because I know you're missing out. And it's the same thing with the Sabbath. There is no difference is that the Sabbath is meant to be a blessing for you. I always look at the Ten Commandments, and I've talked about this before too, but as an umbrella. He gave us these to protect us, so that the devil, you know, his rain coming down, or arrows, or whatever you want to look at it, 
those arrows, you're protected from it. But if you step outside of those commandments, what happens? Well, now you can be attacked more. They're, you're going to get wet. And so it wasn't so that God could take away all your fun. It was for your benefit. And that's what the Sabbath is. This is for your benefit. Not God's. He doesn't need you to keep the Sabbath. He wants you to because it's his day that he sanctified and made holy and there are blessings in it. It's that simple. But what I was saying here is that Yeshua goes out of his way to break the man-made commandments. Did you ever ask? I mean, he puts his hand... Jesus could have done all kinds of things. He did do all kinds of things to heal people of blindness and, and certain diseases. Why did he spit on the earth, pick up the dirt, and stick it on this guy's eyes, which I remember reading as a kid thinking, gross. Good thing the guy was blind so that he didn't know what he was doing. <laughs> Why? I think those of you who went to Israel, I talked about this there. He was poking the bear. Because it says in the Talmud, in the Jewish man-made laws, that you cannot make mud on the Sabbath. And if you recall, when I was talking about this in Israel, Ron's like, yep, yep. And he pulls it up and he even read it to you out of their Jewish writings. He was saying... This is man-made rule. I'm going to break your Sabbath rules, but I'm going to keep mine. And so he does not break the Sabbath here. Verse 15, Then the Pharisees also asked him again how he had received his sight. He said to them, He put clay on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Therefore some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, because he does not keep the Sabbath. What I want you to get from this, though, is as a first century Jew... Do you know what the marker was of being a Christian or a godly man? Keeping the Sabbath. If you didn't break the Sabbath, you weren't a godly man. You were ungodly. That was the, the what's the word I'm looking for? The, the measuring rod, in, in, in essence. If you don't keep the Sabbath, you're not a Christian. Today, it's not even on the mark of the measuring rod, is it? But first century church, that's exactly what it was. Now, by the way, that is more biblical, too, because God commanded it to be done. We're not talking about clay being put on your eyes or how many steps you can take on the Sabbath. We're just saying honor and remembering the Sabbath. So I would say it was pretty important. Uh, even though they misunderstood the Sabbath... It shows the mindset that they had about it. Isaiah 56 verse 1 says, Thus says the Lord, keep justice and do righteousness. For my salvation, that, that literally is Yeshuati, Yeshua, the, the E at the end makes it personal, my. So Yeshua, salvation, my, Yeshuati, is about to come and my righteousness to be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this, and the son of man who lays hold on it, who keeps from defiling the Sabbath and keeps his hand from doing any evil. Now here's what I love about this verse. Keep justice, do righteousness, for my salvation, in essence, Yeshua is coming. So, 
what's neat is that this is a prophecy, a lot of the theologians will tell you, about the dispensation of grace that was coming. Salvation is coming. Jesus is coming. But now, as Paul says in Romans, but now a righteousness apart from the law has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This is the kind of thing he was talking about. Romans, Paul knew that there was salvation that was prophesied, but now a righteousness apart from the law is made known. Just like they, the, the law and the prophets testified back in Isaiah and so on in other places. He was basically saying grace is going to come, and even under grace, though, notice that those who do it and obey will be blessed. That's huge to me. Because under the dispensation of grace, blessed is the man who does this. Who does what? Who keeps the, the Sabbath without desecrating it and defiling it. There's a blessing in it. So, this isn't an Old Testament legalistic thing. This still applies to the dispensation of grace. Now, we're going to talk about the arguments. You know, people say, well, it's never commanded in the, in the New Testament. Well, yeah, neither are a lot of things that we know are wrong, aren't commanded in the New Testament. Why would they need to be? Because he's always referring to the old. Those things still stand. But bottom line is we see that Yeshua kept the Sabbath, and so did his disciples even after he left, and we will talk about that later, but just for a quick answer now. Isaiah 56, 1, uh, as we read here, it continues, and it says, I think here this is supposed to be verse 3 picking up, Do not let the son of the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord speak, saying, The Lord has utterly separated me from his people. Now, Notice he's talking not about Israelites here. He's talking about foreigners, the Gentiles that would come into the church. So don't let the son of a foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord has utterly separated me from his people. One of the arguments you're going to hear about the Sabbath and why we don't need to keep it today is because there's separate rules for Jews than there is for the Gentiles. Someday we're going to get to that as well, and I will blow that out of the water scripturally. There is not a separate covenant for the Jew and for the Gentile. We are under the same covenant, and it is even saying it here. Don't you dare say that God has separated me from his people. He's made me different. No, he has joined you to them. Um, it says, nor let the eunuch say, here I am a dry tree, for thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, and choose what pleases me, and hold fast my covenant. Even to them I will give in my house, and within my walls a place and a name better than that of sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. So, <clears throat> I know I've talked about this before, but just to remind you, because I just love this truth. Remember Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch? He's reading out of Isaiah 53, Philip comes and explains to him that it's Jesus. And here is an Ethiopian, a Gentile eunuch. And he gets baptized. Paul or Philip is now taken away. And I guarantee you that Ethiopian eunuch is going back and reading that. And as he would continue to read, this is what he would have read. 
It was like a love letter written to him. Here's a foreigner who is like, wow, don't let him say that I'm separate. I'm not welcome. I'm not part of them. And it says, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, even to them, this is a blessing. I'm going to call them sons and daughters. He would have just been overwhelmed by this message. And I, I love that part. Anyway, this idea that the Sabbath is for the Jew, no way. It's for us as well. It's for all of God's people. Verse 6 continues, also the sons of the foreigner who join themselves to the Lord. Again, it could be us, to serve him, to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants. Everyone who keeps from defiling the Sabbath and holds fast my covenant, even them I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. So this is all about Gentiles being welcomed in, and yet still they are to keep the Sabbath. And for what purpose? So that they'd be blessed, that they can have joy in my house of prayer. Okay, you're the one getting blessed by this. That's the key. Um... Another aspect here is that the Sabbath in this area is being compared to the totality of the law of God. You see that? He says, those who basically hold fast my covenant. He says, everyone who keeps from defiling the Sabbath. They're kind of compared to where he's saying the Sabbath kind of sums it up. And that in itself would tell you why the devil has such a thorn in his flesh about this day. Why is it, as we kind of talked about last week, why is it that all of these pictures of the Antichrist throughout history, what they always go after is the Sabbath? Can't keep the Sabbath. That's what Antiochus Epiphanes did. The Romans came in, did the same thing. This is one of those things that the devil has always been after. And I'm going to propose to you that it's because this day is special. And there's a blessing attached to it that the devil does not want you to have. So some of the arguments that we're going to look at um, is this. Didn't Jesus annul the Sabbath? Well, how did he do that? We'll talk more about it, but in a nutshell, we're going to see because he breaks the Sabbath, which again, you will not show me where the disciples, when they were picking grain on the Sabbath, Jesus doesn't rebuke them. Right, because you could do that. You just couldn't put the sickle to it and harvest, but you could eat. You were allowed to do that. So never once does Jesus annul the Sabbath. Well, every day is a Sabbath, right? I mean, I should be able to just worship God on any day of the week. Every day is a Sabbath now. Well, did you get to decide this, or did God's Word get to decide that? 
Okay? I, I believe that I should worship God every day of the week and, and try to do that very thing. But there's only one day that has those extra blessings attached to it. Um, three kind of ties into that. Four, Sunday Sabbath was changed. You see, Yeshua rose on the Monday, or Sunday. Therefore, that's why the Sabbath was changed. I got news for you, folks. That is not why the Sabbath was changed. And the early church did not worship on Sunday as their main day of worship. I know you hear it all the time, and you can go on the first day of the week and all of this. We'll take time to look at that, but you can do this on your own as well. You, any computer can do this. Go to, go to Blue Letter or Bible Gateway. Just look up the Hebrew or the Greek for those chapters, so those verses, when it says on the first day of the week. And you will see that it will say proto-sabbaton, proto-sabbaton, meaning on one Sabbath. That's what the Greek says, not first day of the week, Sunday. It says one Sabbath. Go look it up. Don't take my word for it. You go see what the Bible says. And like I said, we'll, we'll go and we can do a whole session just on that. But I'm telling you, that is not why this has been changed. Because Jesus rose on Sunday. They were still meeting on the Sabbath, Saturday, in the early church. And I'm going to prove that to you later here. Not tonight fully. but um, Sabbath is for the Jews. We kind of covered that one. Not commanded in the New Testament, we kind of covered that one. Okay, just because it's specifically not commanded doesn't mean it's not there. And the fact that the disciples did it, which we will show you proof of, um, you know, it, it's like the Bible doesn't say I can't marry a goat in the New Testament. I mean, that's the argument we're using here. That's not right. Okay. No. Um. As far as to, we have to remember as well that this is a blessing for you, but it's not your day. This is God's day. It's the Lord's Sabbath, not yours. But there was a special mark put on that day to make it holy that you can't do, that only God was able to do. And that's why I believe there is a special blessing on this day. So we're going to jump into a little bit more here yet tonight. In Luke 4.16, it says this, so he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. So notice, this is when Jesus is just kicking off his ministry. He hasn't died and been resurrected yet, but in the beginning of his ministry, when he's kicking it off, as his custom was, meaning what he grew up doing, what he obeyed, and what he followed, was going to the synagogue on the Sabbath. Now, all a synagogue is is basically a holy assembly. And the Jews basically in the first century almost saw them as mini temples, in a sense, where they would have fellowship and learn and whatnot. There weren't sacrifices or any of those like they did in the temples being done, but it's basically a, a, it's almost like church today. Now, as I said, many may agree with this, but they're going to say, yeah, but after the resurrection is when it got changed. But 
we will talk more about that later, as I said. It's just simply not true. Um, Acts 13, verse 42, when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. This is Acts chapter 13. This is after the death and resurrection of Christ. And where is Paul and Peter and everybody else going, even the Gentiles? The synagogues. When? On the Sabbath. Remember we looked at Acts chapter 15 and he says we don't want to overburden the Gentiles. Moses is read every Sabbath. So they're going to hear the law of God, but we want to highlight these things. We've talked about that before. So clearly, biblically speaking, the custom and the practice post-resurrection here is still on the Sabbath. Now verse 43, when the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews and devout proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. So basically this is Paul and Barnabas, and they're entering the, the city of Poseidon, and they go to the synagogue on the Sabbath as their custom is, but even the Gentiles are begging to hear the word of God. Not on Sunday, but on the Sabbath. They knew where to go to get the information and when to get it. On the Sabbath and in the synagogue. That's where you were going to find truth in the first century after Christ ascended. Verse 4, chapter 18. He reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. This is in, in, uh, the, at the church of Corinth, basically. So why are the Gentiles here? If now the Gentiles have a new set of rules and, you know, whatever. No. You might say, well, that's because they didn't understand the truth yet. Like I said, we'll talk about that biblically. Even after they understand the truth, they always still meet on the, synagogue, or on the Sabbath. The apostles knew that this is where they were supposed to be on the Sabbath. This is where everybody expected to hear the truth. Um, chapter 15, verse 21, this is what I was just kind of saying before. Moses had throughout many generations those who preach him in every city being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. This is the expectation of the Gentiles, what they're supposed to do, and it's the expectation of the apostles to the church, not those who don't understand. This is the Jerusalem council here in Acts 15, saying, what are we going to do with all these believers, these Gentiles, who have believed about Yeshua? So these aren't confused people. The expectation of the apostles was that they would go to the synagogues on the Sabbath. So, what are they going to get there? They're going to hear the word and the law of God. I don't know if we can even expect that today in churches, that, you know, you're going to get that. Something has happened. Acts 20, verse 29, For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves men will rise up, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore watch... And remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. 
I think this is why the church looks different today than what it did in the first century. Keep in mind again, he's talking to the church here. He warned you, listen, after I leave, there's going to be wolves that are going to creep in. And they're going to bring in these destructive heresies, perverse things to distort the truth. <clears throat> and I'm going to just touch a little bit on that tonight, of some of these things, that the tr how the truth got distorted after Paul's death. And really even before that, I mean, he was fighting things himself. But anyway, in essence, the gates of hell burst open in the first century. Uh, Daniel Joseph talks about this, and he, he uses the example of a volcano. And that what's going to happen is you have this initial explosion, and after the explosion... All the lava goes down and then it begins to crystallize. It's kind of, you know, fluid, but it, it's going to become hard and it becomes a foundation from this explosion. What comes out of it? Well, <clears throat> this is the beginning of that explosion that is going to crystallize or change the landscape of history or the landscape of the church forever. 130 to 150 AD, we had this epistle of Methetes to Diognetus. And to give you a little background here, um, this epistle of Methetes is, <clears throat> most people don't even think that it's this Methetes who's, who's writing it, or Methetes, but all that Methetes basically means, his name means disciple. This is the time that there's a guy named Marcion, and we're going to talk more about him later. Marcion is really a heretic in the early church. And a lot of people were writing against and fighting against Marcionism there. And believe me, Marcionism is alive and well today. We'll talk about that later. But nonetheless, there were all kinds of people like him and these Gnostics. Gnostic comes from the word gnosis or knowledge. And so we have what are called like Gnostic Gospels that are out there, like the book of Judas, the Gospel of Judas. Years, a few years back we were hearing about that. These are the Gnostic Gospels. Gnosticism was this extra sect, this group of people who were out there who had corrupted the Word of God and were writing all kinds of crazy things. Okay, it was the cult of the day, you might say, in the first century. Well, what's going on here... <clears throat> Uh, is Methedes is lashing out against these Jewish practices which all came from the word of God. And scholars say that the early church saw that the Sabbath as Sunday, yet this is going to show you that even here at this point, that clearly was not the case. Because he's speaking against what they were doing. He says, as to their scrupulosity concerning meats, so clean and unclean foods. Their superstition as respects the Sabbaths. Their boasting about circumcision and their fancies about fasting and the new moons, which are utterly ridiculous and unworthy of notice. So what was the practice here in the first century? Fasting, meat, uh, basically clean and unclean foods, the, the festivals, new moons, and circumcision. Okay, they still did the circumcision, but we know Galatians, the whole book of Galatians talks about circumcision of the heart, not the, the, of the flesh. But anyway, 
we see uh, it continues. And as to their observing months and days, as if waiting upon the stars and the moon, like as if it was astrology, and they're distributing according to their own tendencies the appointments of God and the vicissitudes of the seasons, some for festivities and others for mourning. In other words, these appointments of God, that's actually what the word is for the festivals, appointed times. That the, these are the Lord's Moedim. And so that's what he's talking about. The appointments of God are the festivals, Passover, Tabernacles, Sukkot, okay, the Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement. It says some for festivities, others for mourning. So some of these festivals were for celebrations like uh, the Sukkot and others for mourning like Yom Kippur. That is known as the festival that where mourning takes place. Who would deem this a part of divine worship and not much rather a manifestation of folly? In other words, they, they use this, they celebrate these festivities and, and festivals of mourning as a way of worshiping God, and that's ridiculous. He says, I suppose then you are sufficiently convinced that the Christians properly abstain from the vanity and error common and from the busy body spirit and vain boastings of the Jews. But you must not hope to learn the mystery of their peculiar mode of worshiping God from any mortal. In other words, what he was saying, if you're a Christian, you must not do these things. Now keep in mind, this is 130 to 150 A.D., and here's a guy coming and saying, if you're a Christian, don't do anything the Jews do. That's terrible. Now, what were the apostles doing? They were doing these things. So somehow, from the time of the apostles to 130 AD, now they're starting to say Christians can't do this. This is that poisonous gas and lava exploding out of the volcano. <coughs> because what did Jesus say in Ephesians? He wanted to break down the wall of hostility, making the two become one. And here's a guy coming along and saying, no, you got your Jews doing their thing, and the Christians now are going to do their thing, and we're going to be different and separate. One's going to do it the biblical way, the other's going to do it their own way. Okay? So, we also have this, about 130 A.D. as well. This is the epistle of Barnabas. Now, Barnabas is the, basically Paul's right-hand man. Uh, most scholars today draw uh, from this text to say that the Sabbath was changed to Sunday. Again, 130 A.D. But before we do look at this commentary here by Bart Ehrman, who is a leading expert today on this book, actually has translated it, I believe. Yeah, translated it. Um, I want you to know that he is not a believer, so he is not biased towards Christianity or not necessarily here. He is just one of the leading scholars when it comes to this book of Barnabas. Now, by the way, this is considered to be uh, not one of the um, canonized books or even really the apocryphal type books. But this is what he's going to say about the book of Barnabas. The epistle of Barnabas was widely read in churches of the second and third centuries. Some Christians thought that it should be included among the books of the New Testament. 
Although it came to be attributed to Barnabas, the companion of the Apostle Paul, the book itself is anonymous. Most scholars think it was written around 130 AD, possibly in Alexandria, Egypt, where it was especially popular. And he goes on and he says, the purpose of the book, the main purpose, is to show that Christianity is superior to Judaism. That Judaism, in fact, is and always has been a false religion. I have a huge problem with that. Judaism is a true religion, just not pharisaical Judaism. Biblical Judaism, I want you to understand there is a difference between those two. Biblical Judaism is basically taking the Bible that the Jews were given the uh, task to preserve. Remember, that's what we looked at last week. We, what advantage is there in being a Jew, it says in Romans 3 or 4. Much in every way, for they have been entrusted with the very words of God. Theirs are the patriarchs. Theirs are the covenants. Theirs the divine glory. Theirs the, the giving of the promises. And so biblical Judaism is a good thing. Pharisaical Judaism, that's, that's bad. Well, anyway, um, I'm glad that they didn't put the book of Barnabas in the Bible, <laughs> that it was rejected. But note that the main thing, that this is a huge issue at this time, is it's a push for Christianity to be separate from Jews. In Acts chapter 15, was it a Jewish church or a Gentile church? It was a Jewish church. The Gentiles were being welcomed into it. So it was a Jewish Christian church in Acts chapter 15, and really for up until about 98 AD. And like I said, we might talk more about that later. But anyway, just know that this is something that was going on around 130 AD. There's a big push to separate from biblical Judaism. Because remember, those things that they were doing, new moons, Sabbaths, clean and unclean, these are all biblical things. Yeah, the Pharisees could take it to legalism, but the apostles did not. Here's some more from the epistle of Barnabas. Do not continue to ramble my court. If you bring fine flour, it is vain. Incense is detestable to me. Your new moons and Sabbaths I cannot stand. Therefore, he has abolished the things. By the way, he's quoting here um, Isaiah chapter 1. And so Barnabas is, is quoting that. And it's also, I think, in Hosea or Amos, he says, you know, your, your burnt offerings and your, your, your sacrifices are detestable to me. Your noise, your, your songs are like a noise in my ears. And so he's quoting that. And then he says, therefore, he has abolished the things in order that the law, or a new law of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is free from the yoke of compulsion, might have its offering, one not made by humans. In other words, he's saying, Jesus abolished the Sabbaths. He abolished the new moons, and therefore we're done with it. He goes on, he says, Furthermore, concerning the Sabbath, it is also written in the ten words which he spoke to Moses, the Ten Commandments, face to face on Mount Sinai, and sanctify the Lord's Sabbath with clean hands and a clean heart. Furthermore, he says, you shall sanctify it with clean hands and clean heart. 
If therefore anyone now is able by being clean of heart to sanctify the day which God sanctified, we have been deceived in every respect. In other words, you can't keep the Sabbath holy because you can't. You can't keep the law because you can't. And if you think you can keep the law, you've been deceived. Well, there's some truth to that, but you can see how it's twisted. And I might as well say, you can't keep the commandments. You can't keep the law. You can't, you know, not uh, practice adultery and whatnot. Go ahead and watch porn. It's fine, because you can't keep the law. You see, the law is not the problem. It's sin that's the problem. And that's where Jesus comes in. He says, finally, he says to them, I cannot bear your new moons and Sabbaths. You see what he means? It's not the present Sabbaths that are acceptable to me, but the one that I have made on the Sabbath. After I have set everything at rest, I will create the beginning of the eighth day, which is the beginning of another world. So, in other words, what he's saying here in verse 8 is, in this corrupted age of sin and all of that, any attempt to be holy with the Sabbath is corrupt because God meant the Sabbath to be something that was at the end of the world heaven. Well, very crafty and believable if you don't know scripture, but ultimately this is all because of that anti-Semitic attitude and wanting to separate the Jews from the Gentiles in the church. Because let's look at Isaiah 1 verse 12, which he is quoting here to get all of this from, and now let's look at the scriptures rather than what man is saying about it. Here's Isaiah 1.12. When you come to appear before me, who has required this from your hand, to trample my courts, bring no more futile sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons, the Sabbaths, and the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity in the sacred meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They are a trouble to me. I am weary of burying them. You see the difference? Yeah, he says, your Sabbaths I hate, your festivals. He never, nowhere does God ever call them yours, except for in this negative connotation here when they are living in disobedience to him. This is man's way of doing it. When they had mixed in the holy and the unholy, the profane with what was to be pure. Well, it's just like what Jeremiah says, these people worship me with their lips but their hearts are far from me. They're going through the motions, but I can't stand it. I can't stand them keeping the Sabbath. Why? Because it's mixed with the profane. Their heart is not with me. The same can be true today, guys. Like I said, just you can go and keep the Sabbath, and you can do all the biblical festivals and do what the Pharisees did, and God will still hate it. Because it's coming from a legalistic, fleshly, origin. It needs to be coming from the heart to serve and love God. That's where this has to come from. But clearly this teaching in 112, you know, it, it should be don't think that by keeping the Sabbath even today that you're going to please God when it's along with hidden willful sin and you're out there watching pornography Sunday morning before you go to church and now you're going to church and praising God and you just got done filling your eyes and, and whatnot with pornography. That's what he's talking about. It's just that mixing. Okay? Or done out of legalism, like I said. Trying to earn God's pleasure or earning God's salvation by being obedient isn't going to work. 
That's not what this is about. That's legalism. So when he says, your new moons and your feasts, look what he says in Exodus 31. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak also to the children of Israel saying, surely my Sabbaths you shall keep for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. Like I said, nowhere in scripture are they called your Sabbaths outside of a negative connotation when they were mixing it with sin. So that's what Isaiah is talking about. You know, people will say, if I tell them, well, I try and keep a, a Saturday Sabbath, they'll say, oh, that's your Sabbath. Isn't that interesting? No, it's not my Sabbath. It's God's Sabbath. Okay? It's just kind of, I don't know. I'll just let, I'll leave it at that and let you process that. Um, God tells us what's lawful and what's not lawful. He says he's the Lord of the Sabbath. He sanctified a day. Now, whether or not you go to church is not, that's not a problem. If you go to church on Sunday, great, I do too. Not a problem. But that is not the Sabbath. That is not the day that has been sanctified to make holy, that has that added blessing to it. That is what Satan has done to move the Sabbath. I'm not saying Sunday is Satan. I'm saying moving, getting rid of that Saturday. Sabbath. Okay. Yeah. Um, he goes on, he says, They are a trouble to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. So, God even said it. He, he hated their prayers. Again, can't stress this enough because I know people listening to this are going to say, oh, you said it's Sunday is a sin. To... No. no, I'm not saying that you go to church and you pray on Sunday and God hates your prayers. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying you can't replace the Sabbath. You can't move the Sabbath. Drawing a logical conclusion that Barnabas did, using that argument that God used this verse here in Isaiah to say that the Sabbath is no longer needed, one would also have to say then that God hates prayer too. Right? Isaiah said he hated their feasts, he hated their Sabbaths, and now here he's saying, I even hate your prayers. So let's just bring it to its logical conclusion. What Barnabas is saying is, God hates your Sabbath, so you don't need to do it anymore because he was talking about the Sabbath in the future. God hates those festivals because Jesus was that festival. God hates your prayers. So you don't need to pray anymore either. That's just going to be something you're going to get to talk to him when, you know, the end comes or something. See, what Barnabas is saying in the main text that most churches will point to for that the early church got rid of, you know, or moved the Saturday Sabbath to Sunday is the book of Barnabas. And the book of Barnabas is clearly out of context of Scripture. That's what you need to understand here. It just does not make sense. That's just scratching a little bit of surface here on the history. We will, 
next week pick up on this a little bit more and we're going to get in some people that you might be more familiar with in church history but this is the beginning of it okay and it only gets worse from here and you're going to see that explosion that magma is going to solidify and become a foundation of the church and it's why we think the way we think in the church today you know church history I believe is extremely important to know and to study because it will help you understand why the church does what it does today. So we are going to take a week or maybe even two, I don't know, we'll see how far we get to, to look at that. I know that this has probably brought more questions and answered questions so far. It's just I can't keep you here forever. But in a nutshell, yeah, we keep the Sabbath by trying to keep it holy. Scripture says there's two, two words that are used about the Sabbath. One, it says remember the Sabbath, and the other says protect the Sabbath. Uh, one in Exodus, one in Deuteronomy. And when it talks about that, we are to remember that day to keep it holy, and then we are to protect it. The first time that word protect is used in, is in the Garden of Eden. It says that Adam is placed in the garden to shamar. That word placed, it's shamar. He is placed in the garden to protect it. Adam was there to protect his wife, to protect his future family, to protect the garden from what? It's the Garden of Eden. God knew Satan was going to try and come in. The next time we see that word shamar, it is in relation to the Sabbath, that God says shamar the Sabbath, protect the Sabbath. I don't think that we have done even if Sunday was the Sabbath day, we've done a terrible job of doing that. But God has said we are to protect it. So one of the things we try to do, and it's a lot of work, because our society, the devil has made sure that everything is going on on Saturday. And so we try to protect it first and foremost. Then we try to make it holy by being in God's word or helping others. Um praying together uh, we we do a, a Bible study we watched some Bible studies here today um, together as a family um, whatever things like that but to do no regular work and like I said there are some basic guidelines that are given but I don't want to make offense like the Pharisees do and say well you can't go to Walmart uh, but you can go to Menards <laughs> Okay, because Menards is that, you know, we could do all kinds of things like that. But one of the things that is laid out throughout Scripture is the buying and selling. We see that in Nehemiah. We see it uh, in a lot of different places. And so I don't go shopping on Saturday. I make it a point not even to open up my computer to go to Amazon or check my email. I don't even go out to get my mail at the mailbox on Saturday because I don't want to be tempted to try and take care of something. I, I, I'm at the point when I get, I want it done now. So I leave it out there. Just little steps like that. Now, with all of that said, am I pleasing God by the act of, what, of doing those things? No. I please God because I have a heart to keep that Sabbath holy. Because I cannot keep the Sabbath. Just like what Barnabas said, he's right, I can't. Nor can I keep any of the commandments. I've had lustful thoughts. I've lied. Uh, I've murdered. Okay, yeah. Um, you didn't know that about me? 
I spent 15 years in. Um, uh, yeah. I heard the live part. Yeah. You know, the Ray Comfort stuff. Jesus says this if you've had hate in your heart, you've murdered your brother. He elevates that. Yes, I've murdered because I've had hate in my heart before. So I can't keep any of the commandments, but I have a heart and a desire to do. This is what Paul was saying. He says, the good that I want to do, I cannot do. And that which I hate, I keep on doing. Who can rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ, my Lord. And so here's the catch. And here's why pastors don't like me talking about this kind of thing. They're scared to death that you're going to get filled with legalism. I admit that danger is there. As much as I warn you about it, as much as I try and tell you, don't make this legalism, the danger is there. But I got news for you. When we talk about baptism, there's a danger in that too. There's a danger in speaking in tongues. There's a danger in every good doctrine that's out there because Satan is going to want to corrupt it. But pastors don't like me talking about it because they think that I'm going to create legalism and people are going to leave their church or whatever the case might be. Well, here's the bottom line. It's not legalism if you understand it properly. And like I said, yes, the danger is there. I've been there. I've gone through this and I've had 20-some years of figuring it out. And I know that when I first did it, one of the things that I struggled with was I'd get angry at myself because it's like, doggone it, I, I worked today. It was the Sabbath, and I worked. And I felt guilty, and I'd beat myself up. Yes, that was legalism a little bit. Some of it, but some of it might have been my conscience being pricked in a good way. And I had to find that balance of realizing, oh, I worked today, I missed out on my blessing. Not that all of a sudden God was up there shaking his head going, oh, Brian, Oh, again. Yeah, that's not it. It is the attitude of me realizing, ah, I missed out on what God wanted to give me today. I missed my appointment. And when I began to look at it that way, it was a, much, a lot more beneficial and that legalism would begin to creep away. And so... You guys are going to have to find your own balance, your own, you know, your own struggle. But anything worthwhile is sometimes difficult, and it is a struggle. And in our society, let me tell you, to, to honor the Sabbath today, it is a struggle because of all the things that are going on, all the temptations and all these things that, you know, the world is offering. Because Satan wants to keep you from having that blessing. So... You just need to keep praying about it. But my thing, the reason I think that I need to teach this is, A, the churches won't because it's, well, because of the reasons I've told you before, but also because it's truth. And there is a blessing in truth, period. And so... I'm going to teach truth even if it means people are going to think I'm a cult or I'm legalistic or I'm weird or whatever. I, I have an audience of one. 
I'm not here to please you. I, I, I pray to God that you will be pleased. But that's not why I'm here. I'm here to be faithful to the word of God, even if it means trials and tribulations and fingers being pointed. And I just, I can't compromise on that. that that's me in a nutshell. Jeremiah 20 verse 9 is my life verse, which says that God's word is like a fire in my bones. I'm weary of, of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. If I hold in the truth of God's word and I see people missing out on those blessings and whatnot, I'm like, ah, I'm antsy. It's just like, I got to say something. I got to say something. Just shut up, Ryan. Shut up. Okay? It's like, it just has to come out. And it gets me into trouble. But I just trust that God and his spirit is going to do what's right with the word because he promises I think it's Isaiah which says his word will not come back void that I'm going to give you the truth and Satan is going to try and steal that seed he's going to try to corrupt it he's going to try to ruin it in any way shape or form that he can but I trust that the Holy Spirit is going to water it and cause it to grow and you'll be blessed that's why I give you this hard truth in this study that you may not get in other places. I'm not trying to get you to leave a church or, or follow a cult or anything. like. I just want the Spirit to work truth in your life through the Word. And I pray that any of you, if I am saying things that are not in Scripture... And I cannot show you it in Scripture that you would rebuke me because I am not above reproach. And I don't know everything. And so I expect you to always keep me on my toes and challenge me if I'm off. All right, we'll pray. Lord, we just thank you for your word. Um, it is truth. And we just pray that as you've promised, it does not come back void, but that it'll work in our hearts and that we will just have an understanding. God, it is your word that gives us hope. It's your word that gives us strength. It is your word that gives us life. And we just so need that. Please pour your wisdom into our lives. And... May we leave here tonight protected by your mighty hand and your mighty grace and the hope that can only come from you as well. In the precious name of Yeshua, the holy name we pray, amen. amen.